Hello and welcome to The Northern Connection, a podcast all about books. In each episode, we chat to writers about their inspirations, their favourite books and a book with a Northern Connection. This episode is hosted by Rebecca, Jules, Rachel and myself, Emma, and we catch up with Sue Reid to talk about her debut novel, The Rewilding of Molly McFlynn. Here's Rebecca to tell you a little bit more about Sue. where a love for nature informs her work. She had a career in teaching, writing curricula and sensory dramas for children with severe learning difficulties, then ran her own business upcycling waste wool knitwear as the woolly peddler. In 2019, she studied for her MA in creative writing at Newcastle University. She writes about sustainable living at the Bridge Cottage Way. The Rewilding of Molly McFlynn is her debut novel. Welcome to the Northern Connection, Sue. Uh, please could you tell us all about your debut book, The Rewilding of Molly McFlynn? Sure. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Uh, this is my first novel in a planned series in which Molly McFlynn is sent from Newcastle to stay with her bohemian grandparents in the wilds of Northumberland for what she thinks is just going to be a few days. However, first lockdown's announced and Molly's stuck there down the lane. Her, friend, her friends have deserted her, the Wi-Fi's non-existent, the food's inedible and her nan's doing strange things in the garden at night. Life takes a dramatic turn, however, when hares keep crossing her path and she meets Martha, who's a homeless girl living rough in the woods. Martha's on the run from the Witchfinder in Newcastle who's banged her mother, Anne Watson, in the jail on accusations of witchcraft. And Anne was one of 15 women who were hung on the town moor in Newcastle in 1650. Now, as the pandemic deepens, Martha's life's not the only one in danger. And Molly must stand up for what is right, help heal family rifts and come to the rescue in a moment of peril. And as Molly's friendship with Martha grows, Molly reconciles with her true self, develops a love of nature and moves away from her consumerist lifestyle. Sounds fabulous. Good. <laughs> Hope so. Um, can you tell us where the idea for the book came from? Yeah, this was quite hard to answer. It, it wasn't a simple, like, I had this idea and ran with it. It's, mu it's multifaceted. So I, I was at Newcastle Uni um, well, I found out that at the ripe old age, well, I found out at 60, you could, get a, you could get a student loan up to the age of 60. So at the ripe old age of 58, off I went to uni. I announced to my husband I was giving up my little business and went off to uni. So studying for an MA in creative writing, but it was the time when the first lockdown was announced. So we had a term and a bit of lectures and I was loving it. I was loving going to Newcastle on the train. Being a student, I used to wear my lany lanyard round my neck, like waltzing through town. I'm a student, um, love, love going to student bar. Um, and then it all got locked down and we all were stuck. I mean, you know, there was no teaching for a while while everyone worked out what to do. So, and then I was stuck here down the muddy country lane again, desperately missing my grandchildren. It was awful. Um, my daughter was pregnant with number two, wouldn't let us go anywhere near them. 
So I wanted to sort of get that in the moment feel in the book. I wanted to write about the pandemic and all the fears and all the uncertainties that we're all feeling at the time. I felt I wanted to sort of get that in the story. I knew also that I wanted to write about turning away from consumerism, living a life more in tune with nature. And as I was sort of thinking all around this, I went out in the garden and I went to pick a bunch of um, tulips. And we've got lots of brown hairs here in Northumberland. And there nestled in a little deli in the ground was a tiny little leveret. I have to say a baby hair because some people don't know what a leveret is. Um, especially if anyone's listening into America. A lot of my American followings, followers don't seem to know that word. But anyway, little hair. So I used the hair as a starting point for research. And I began to research folklore and came across this idea that witches can shape shift into hairs and back again. That led me down a rabbit warren. Um, I know hairs don't live in warrens, but a rabbit <laughs> warren of research looking at the history of so-called witches. And then I went on to sort of eco-feminism. So to marry all those ideas together, I came up with the idea of a book which explored a love of nature, but also elevated the stories of women accused of witchcraft and murdered during what was known as the burning times, but with the local interest of those tried and hung in Newcastle. And while setting all this during the pandemic, um, because I felt there were lots of parallels between what went on then, mm. plague times sort of thing, and, and write about what we were experiencing here at the time. Wow, yeah. <laughs> were you always interested in witches do you think or it was all it all came from the hair mm. yeah no it wasn't it wasn't something I'd ever thought about before it wasn't something um really I knew anything about um it, I, I always thought that you know the, the witches I didn't I didn't know the extent to which which um I'm not going to say witches were hung they it wasn't the extent to which women who were accused of witchcraft were murdered. I didn't realise the extent of what's now called the burning times, that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of mainly women, sometimes men, but mainly women were murdered. Um, yeah, uh, 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 and how it came about was I started doing this research about um, herbalism and COVID and sort of thinking at the time, you know, no one knew what we were doing. There were no vaccines. No one knew about any medicine for COVID. Um, but I'd always had quite an interest in herbalism and alternative medicine. Yeah. I used to use a homeopath um, for the kids when they were little. And, I've, you know, I make uh, sort of elderberry. I've just finished making a batch of elderberry tonic here for immune system. So I started sort of looking into this and, and that sent me down the path of what did they treat the plague mm. with? Um, and a lot of similarities. There was yarrow. There was different herbs that may may have been used so that then led to me to sort of the healers of old the women in communities that were healers they were midwives um, women who were really the hubs of their communities the center of communities many of which were accused of witchcraft it didn't mean that all people that accused of witchcraft were midwives and healers but by default because the healers were women a lot were accused of witchcraft and that led me sort of to the looking at people who were seen as outsiders, um, mm. heretics. They didn't conform to the authority of the church and the state that was starting to have more and more control in society as this sort of Puritan 
um, religious ethic took over. Um, and then in my local, I, did you want to know about how sort of I came across the Newcastle? Yeah, yeah, because I, I hadn't, I hadn't heard of those. Yeah, um, yeah, I hadn't heard of it either at the time, but I came across a historian, Joe Bath, and she's written a book, Dancing with the Devil and Other Tales of Northern Witchcraft. And that's how I learned about the um, women accused in 1649. It's interesting, in 1649, 30, mainly women, I think there was one guy, but 30 people were thrown into the jails in Newcastle. There was more than one jail. But it was a year later when they were actually hung in 1650 and 15 women and one man were hung and the historians think that a lot of them died of gel fever during that time from the terrible terrible conditions they were in so at the time of all this so i've come across the witches the herbalism the newcastle witch trials at the same time one of my facebook followers shared a project with me called the medicine spoon memorial project led by a woman called Karen Thompson. And she, what she did was she was sending out little tiny swatches of cloth with a spoon imprinted on it, the, the medicine spoon that the healers would have used. And you got a name, you got a name of one woman that was murdered in the burning times and you were asked to decorate, to embroider this spoon. So I asked Karen Thompson if she had any of the Newcastle lot and she said, yes, I've got, um, do you want Anne Watson? So I got the name Anne Watson as one of the women um, hung. So I embroidered this little spoon and I started trying to find out about Anne Watson. And there is absolutely nothing written them about her. We just know from the records that she was hung for being a witch, W-Y-C-H on the spelling. So I just wanted to sort of, I don't know her story, but I just wanted to bring her name alive in print and, and get her in a book as, as to sort of honour her name. And so she is Martha's mother in the book, Martha the, the homeless girl. It makes you wonder, doesn't it, how many women have potentially been forgotten about then? You know, we oh, oh, it's you huge. Know. Yeah, yeah. Throughout history, though, isn't it? And, I, and this is... This is something I want to do in future books that I write with Molly McFlynn's story is to elevate women in history. I mean, just because we were women by default, we got buried in history. You look at all the artists that were women, all the people who actually did things that were worth knowing, um, just buried because we were women. We weren't important. Both sad and fascinating. Mm. So talking about Martha, obviously Martha and Molly strike up this very um, unique and quite unlikely friendship. Mm -hmm. What do you think that tells us, their relationship tells us about learning from the past? Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of that goes on in the novel. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, they're both, out, they're both outsiders um, in their communities. Mo Molly hasn't been getting on that well in town with her friends. I don't want to give too many spoilers, but... Um, she soon sort of realizes that they're not true friends to her. Um, they find each other through what I, I describe as an emotional portal. Um, there is a portal that Martha's come through from the 17th century. And 
like Martha, she Molly is a victim of malicious gossip, and obviously Martha's a victim of malicious gossip, and so's her mother, because so many women that were um, accused of witchcraft were just victims of gossip. Um, Martha and her mother were shunned by their community for being different. So despite the difference of nearly 400 years, they've got the same concerns and worries. And therefore, I think the answer to your question is they share a common humanity. Um, this sort of binary thinking of it's either black or white, you're either for God or for the devil, or you're either this or that, or you're either, you know, um, binary thinking and the othering of those perceived as different in society is nothing new and, and it continues today absolutely so you have already mentioned a little bit about this um but nature and, and natural remedies play a big part in the book um so you've said yeah. obviously that this were something that you were already interested in did you already quite know quite a lot about natural remedies are we still doing quite a bit of research there yeah I was still doing quite a bit of research I did know a little bit I mean as I said I've always had an interest in nature and natural remedies I've had gardens and allotment for years and years and years for as a kiddie I'd help my nan in her garden I think bits of my nan comes into the nan in the story there um I know a herbalist locally um Ross Menzies is a great guy so he was able to you know he was treating people for COVID with his um, remedies. And that's why I was saying, right, you know, Ross, what's in your COVID tincture? What's in your medicine? And he was saying, oh, well, you know, if COVID's affecting your sinuses and up here, I give this, 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 and this. And if it's down on the lungs, I'm giving this, 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 and this. So, yeah, I've had an interest, but I didn't really know enough. So I have had to do quite quite a bit of research and talk to, talk to other people. But yeah, I have just made an elderberry tonic which um, clearly clearly doesn't work because I've got a cough. <laughs> well, it's it's still something healthy though, isn't it? Yeah. And sticking with the nature and natural remedies sort of theme, the theme of sustainability is quite strong throughout the book as well. Can you tell us more about that and why you wanted to include it? Yeah, it's, it's something that's um, been very important to me all my life. Um, I've always, uh, well, go back to sort of teenage years and I had a boyfriend, not the one I'm married to, I had another boyfriend. He went on to study environmental sciences at uni, so he was very clued up on this. And we'd hitch up, We I lived in Sussex at the time, we'd hitch up to London every Saturday and go on protests. My me, me mother used to say, and what are you protesting about today, dear? I said, I don't know, I'm just going to protest. And I'd have anti-whaling and CND and stop trident and, and all of this stuff. So I was sort of clued into that sort of political environment stuff from a young age. Um, when we did get married, we lived in Stockton on Tees for a while. We had an allotment. Um, one day we turned up and it had been like razored to the ground the whole lot. And we just decided there and then, right, that's it. We're going to um, we're going to get um, a house in the hills. So we bought two derelict lead miners cottages high in the North Pennines. And we were just hippies in the hills, really. We had a polytunnel. We grew what veg we could. I mean, it was a bit windy up there. Everything got blown off the plants before you actually got to it. But 
when you live miles and miles from anywhere as well you get used to sort of making and mending and making do you can't call in at your local shops for things so i just remember tim once he needed some washers for something and obviously we couldn't go to b and q so he found some two p pieces that were the same size and drilled a hole in them and, and used them so that sort of mending and making do was really important but it really all kicked off big time when i was teaching i used to teach in hexham at the special school in hexham and a colleague came up and she said can you get me one of your courgette flowers for my tortoise that he loves them and i'm like well it's november and she said yes but um yeah he won't, you know get me a courgette flower. i said you can't courgettes don't grow in november nothing grows in november oh she says well they're in tesco's <laughs> i thought oh yeah okay there you have it you can eat strawberries in december if you shop in tesco's and i said you know i said do you know like when anything grows she says i haven't got a clue and it really occurred to me that so many people don't understand about seasonal eating when things are in season oh that's me i love me <laughs> It was a total shock to me because I'd grown up with a granddad with an allotment who put muddy vegetables on the worktop and mum and dad and we'd grown our veg all our lives and that and I just thought it was a real shock to me that people didn't know you know that strawberries were for June and July and not all year round so I start when I left teaching I started a blog and I started writing this thing called the bridge cottage way I don't like the title now. It sounds a bit like a religious cult, but um, it's stuck. It's stuck because, and it's been going for such a long time. And I've got so many followers that I can't change the name. Um, but the Bridge Cottage Way started as a way to start writing about how to grow food, when to grow it, how to pickle it and preserve it, and, and do all that sort of stuff with. Um, and it's really about taking care of the planet and. I have this little tag thing, reducing the drain on our planet's precious resources. But that's what it's about. It's about living well with what you have and, and just using less. So I then through that, I started blogging and what have you. And someone came up and she said, could you make me a pair of arm warmers, wrist warmers I've seen? They're out of recycled sweaters. And it was a pattern by a woman called Catwise in America. She's got this huge business. I mean, she sells her coats for hundreds of pounds. But I started recycling old jumpers and go around the charity shops, get all the felted bobbly jumpers, cut them up, sew them and make them into things. So I ran this sort of sustainable business for seven years. I won sustainable business of the year from some award. I don't know who it was from. Um, and, and that was great. You know, that was a sort of a passionate about it. Just ticked all those boxes. So there I was, you know, growing me veg and cutting up jumpers and writing about it, which is good. And then I throw the spanner in the works and go to Union Duma MA. But I'm hoping now I can channel all that into my books and Molly McFlynn can become, I don't know, sort of the Greta Thunberg of the Northeast <laughs> as she takes on these challenges. And in, in the next books, um, you know, hopefully more of that. That's a, again, so that sounds all really fascinating. And just what we were chatting about before, I think all that veg stuff would do really well on Instagram. It yeah, does. Yeah, it, it does. does. Yeah. 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 
well i've got me I've, I've got me sue reed Wright's instagram account but i've also got the bridge cottage way as an instagram account i mean i'm my own worst enemy i've got all these plates i'm spinning and um social media accounts but it's good yeah the bridge cottage way does very well on instagram it's um i i'm on substack with that as well and i do four newsletters a year for the bridge cottage way i put them out on the summer and winter solstice and the autumn and spring equinoxes and just sort of collate what could be done in the next season um with recipes and tips and that sort of thing well i'm gonna go look you up on instagram for that because i think i need some you need some, need to need learn. some guidance yeah you. yes okay yes it's it squashes at the moment you need to be eating squashes right well, yeah I've got a good recipe for squash soup, so I'll have a, I'll have a look at that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Sue, so you just mentioned before we started recording that you had a lovely delivery of um, your books today, so they've arrived. Can you tell us when they're going to be available to buy in the shops? Yeah, sure. Well, you can pre-order them now. Um, it's a strange world, this publishing world, isn't it? I mean, this is my first book. I don't really get it because publication date is the 28th of October. I've got 400 copies now that I'm selling through my own website. So if anyone in the UK wants a signed copy, head to Sue Reed Writes. If you go to your bookshops, I think they're arriving any day now in bookshops. Um, it's on the Waterstones website. It's on Amazon. Um, it's it's all over the place on Blackwells. You can go to bookshop.org if you want to support the local bookshop. Or you can mm. go into your local bookshop and ask them to get it in, which is really yeah. nice because it sort of gets it. I mean, the Northeast has, has just run with it. The um, area buyer for Waterstones here has been absolutely brilliant. And he's put it into all the Northeast Waterston shops. But it would be lovely to see it going out into other areas. Um, and you've got a lovely indie bookshop in um, Hexham, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. Cogito Books, yeah, run by Claire and um, Hilary. They've been so supportive. And in fact, that was my mission. When I went to uni to, to do a book, to do me MA, I said, I mean, obviously you don't make any money as a writer. I'm not expecting to make any money. Um, but I said what I wanted was to see my book in the window of Cogito Books and I want to go on to stage at Hexham Book Festival. So Kagita were running with that. And I've just emailed at Hexham Book Festival and said, right, it's over to you guys. Fingers <laughs> crossed. Fulfill my dream. <laughs> All right. And uh, what is it that you're hoping that readers will take away from Molly McFlynn and this first book? And I've just got, I know I've taught loads on all the other questions. I've got one sentence for this one. It's okay to be different. Fabulous. Yeah. So it sounds like you are a very busy lady. And as you said, you are spinning an awful lot of plates. But can you tell us what you're actually working on next in a writing sense? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I've just sent off 8,000 words to the Bridport Memoir Prize. So um, we'll see. Um, it, I, I love that because you didn't have to commit to writing the whole thing and it would be years before it would get published. So all the scariness of do people really want to know that dark side of me can just get put over there and, and Bridport can do with it what they want. Um, I want to write the sequel to the rewilding of Molly McFlynn fairly fast. Um, I had two 
ideas in minds and I've been dithering about which one to write. So on the one hand, I had um, urban flooding. Um, Molly stuck with all sorts of relatives staying in this small flat because they've been flooded out their homes. And she chooses to go on a camper van trip with her parents, um, with her mother and her new boyfriend that goes disastrously wrong. And Molly's stuck in Natdale Forest where she discovers that they've rewilded beavers. So to cut a long story short, she thinks that this might be an idea for the home. So it's about urban flooding and the rewilding of beavers. And the other one was going to be on tree preservation. And I wanted her to have a time flip to the Iron Age um, via the sort of Iron Age settlements. I live up near Hadrian's Wall up here and we have sort of all relics of different things. And I had this sort of Molly with two important trees in her life. And one was going to be the shoe tree in Heaton by her school. And the other was going to be the yew tree behind Beltingham Church. But last week, I don't know whether yeah. you heard, we had the felling. Yeah. We've had the felling of the tree at Sycamore Gap, which I can actually see if I stand in the top. Well, I can't see it now. It's gone. But if I stand in the bathroom at the top of the house and look out the Velux windows, you see Sycamore Gap. So it's been awful. I mean, yeah. The day it happened, I went, I went, I went, it's so sad. I went into Hexham and people were crying. You know, I was in a cafe and this waitress had shut herself in the toilet for a sob. Um, so I thought, no, I like with the first Molly McFlynn that was all about COVID and the COVID pandemic. I think I want to write that one now because I can write in the moment and yeah. I hopefully can get across some of the really yeah. deep, deep feelings um, about the tree. I wrote a thing on my Sue Reed Wright Substack about it and I called it the felling of Northumberland because it, mm. it's like the Tyne Bridge has just been blown up. It's like that sort of iconic symbol has gone. So yeah, sorry, I'm, waff I'm waffling. Mm. Um, the next book um, will be an adventure with Molly McFlynn dealing with death and, and, and loss, but, but with hope as well and new, new growth. I think the thing with a sycamore gap tree though was like I've never visited it so I've never seen it myself and I'm never I'm gonna do now but I think for me from a distance it's just that mindset of why why would someone do that yeah. and I don't I can't get in my mind why no let's try and move on to a cheerier note then yeah because we always like to know what everyone's reading obviously um so what are you reading at the moment from the huge stack that's about to topple over i've got set i've got three on the go at the minute so light reading um i picked up october october by katia balen it's a it's a middle grade book um beautiful book set in the forest um about a young girl um who's wild lives with her dad um and when he gets sick she's got to face going into town and school and it, it's not a good prospect for her but sorry i'm being miserable again it's a lovely book about the wild and the woods um in the memoir genre because i've been writing memoir i'm reading annie erno a girl's story um quite brutal again and quite reflective of my own past and then I'm also reading Boudicca by Amanda Scott um, and that's to really help me get some flavours of the Iron Age and how other people have written about um, female protagonists in the I Iron Age. Um, I'm getting looking forward to getting up to the 
Newcastle University Library because now I'm an alumni, which feels very posh. I was, sw I was swung back off to campus because I was locked down and barred. I can go back up there and pretend to be a student again and really get into reading around, you know, what I need to read about trees and Molly McFlynn's story. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. And finally, please, can you recommend a book or an author with a Northern connection? Yeah. Well, when I saw this question, my first one, I went, oh, yeah, David Armand. It has to be David Armand and Skellig and um, Bone Music that he wrote about setting Kielder. And I love David's writing. I love the layers to his stories. I love that they're rooted in the Northeast. And we were lucky enough to have him tutor us on one of our lectures on the EMA. However, the one I want to really recommend in a completely different genre to what maybe I'd normally read is Rose Wilding, um, Speak of the Devil. We've had that mentioned quite a few times, you know. Ah, yeah. right. That's interesting. Um, I came across Rose at the Hodder Proof Party at Hexham Book Festival. Um, and it's a, it's a feminist tale that begins with a severed head you probably heard this, on a, on a table in a hotel room and a group of women all around, all who have very good reason to have committed the murder. And I'm ever so slightly jealous that Rose had Jeanette Winterson as a writing mentor on the Creative Writing MA at Manchester. But yes, my recommendation will be Rose Wilding, Speak of the Well, Day. I have read it and I think it's brilliant really good and, yeah. and there's more to it than you think isn't there there is a bit of a um a feminist like you say a feminist um tale to it as well mm. so yeah it's excellent yeah. Mm. yeah i agree well thank you for joining us sue that was brilliant thank you thank you for having me i thoroughly enjoyed the evening Thank you so much for listening. We now have a Northern Connection page on bookshop.org and there you'll find the books that we uh, talk about in each episode along with books recommended by us and by authors we chat to. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter or X at NorthernConPod and we're on Instagram, The Northern Connection. We'll be back soon with another episode. Bye for now.